You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Sobe here, continuing our series featuring educators from the NLC alum community, talking about the challenge, the puzzle of reopening schools. And this time we're talking about doing it in a higher ed setting. NLC LA alum Wade Dean is back. He's our returning champion. I think he's been here the most times. He's a popular guest. Let's get to it. All right, Wade, you sent me a, a f- funny picture from Twitter from I, what it would assume would be a, a college classroom of a very bootleg, what, like plexiglass uh, with with painter's tape sort of holding it up at a desk in front of a whiteboard. And, and I, I kind of had to laugh both because it was funny, but also because it was sad as somebody who's working in academia and, and has been for a while. What's your what's your take on where things stand with schools reopening this fall? Uh, in a word, it's absurd. Uh, in two words, it's absurd and fundamentally cruel, but uh, I'll say that was more than two words, but you get my point. <laughs> so what do you think is going to happen in terms of students being virtual, not virtual? What is your preference right now? How would you describe what you're feeling? Uh, well, I don't want to give any type of prescriptives. I don't think that's my wheelhouse. I will f- describe how I'm feeling. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty angry. I'm pretty pissed. Not because of like, you know, you know, my relation to education as a teacher and as a thinker, but because I have friends who are like in the trenches still, uh, be it higher education or uh, public schools, uh, K through 12. Uh, And I guess the reason I called it cruel is because of the cascading ways that this thing is going to go left. Uh, If you start at UGA, uh, yes, you have professors uh, who are themselves tenured who do not want to go back because they may have some type of a condition, be it diabetes or the like, that puts them at risk. They may have family members who have the, that may be of risk as well. Uh, but outside of them, you have staff workers and like people who are like, let's call it what it is, janitors. Janitors who here in Athens, Georgia, where I'm at now, who work at the University of Georgia, who live on the east side, who don't have health insurance, who are just making uh, ends meet, who work second jobs, who, if they get sick, it will go left really fast and also contribute to this ongoing depreciation of a quality of life that working class folk, in this particular case, working class folk who are themselves black living here in Athens, Georgia, have to like dig themselves out of every day, every hour on the hour. And it's it's cruel. It's a dehumanization of, uh, it, I want to say of, of, of life, but also I think it's also fundamentally anti-life as well. What your dehumanization, anti-life, in, in my thinking, are two different things. And so I think people have a better understanding of maybe in a K-12 setting who the forces are that are trying to make change or have protections for educators. So you think of like LUSD out here, people are aware that the union is doing things or the school board is doing things. In a higher ed setting, like say the University of Georgia or even a private university as well, what are the machinations in place that are at odds with each other that are trying to find compromises like how does that even work uh so i'm only speaking from uh a secondhand uh posture uh, in that like i said i have colleagues over there or Mm -hmm. uh friends who are themselves graduate students uh i haven't gotten all the details uh in that regard so i don't want to give like you know just sit Mm -hmm. here and spitball uh but what i do know is that yesterday uh there was let's say there was a dying uh at the university, uh, this is huge uh, field uh, at uh, where the where the uh, school starts as it bleeds into downtown, mm-hmm. and all the grad students and some uh, adjunct professors they just 
they had to die in. And after that, they gave a, a letter of demands to the administration. I don't know if the administration even paid attention to that in, in that they know what's going on and they are still insisting on opening up this university. Like, for example, at UGA, from what I understand, uh, all on classes, on campus classes are still going to be happening. There is uh, consequently going to be a cap on online classes. Moreover, there's a cap on enrollment within those online classes. So there's a drive to get students back on campus. And I cannot understand anything uh, as to why that's going on outside of the rubric of cruelty and dehumanization. And then I think you're definitely right on that, that sense of, of cruelty. And I think people, too, are also trying to sort that out with maybe a lot of the headlines they've seen in papers about this could spell the end for many institutions of higher learning in general, the, the hits to the budget, if students come don't come back or if you lose sports, all these kind of things. How would you want people to, to read those articles or maybe understand what higher education might look like in the States 12 months from now or five years from now? I, oh, that's such a loaded answer. Okay, let me think about this. Give me a moment. I know, I know we don't have a lot of time in, this, uh, uh, in these podcasts, but th- I want to make sure that I give an answer that is not reductive or, or reducible. Hmm. I would begin by saying the way that we have been educating students, uh, and when I say educating students, I'm talking about all of us because we are all still students, has been fundamentally broken for a long, long, long time. And that tuitions uh, have been going up and that the quality of education that you're able to receive, once again, I'm talking about myself included because when I teach, I'm learning. But the quality of education that we are able to receive, that is to say that I'm always having to rush to put together a lesson plan because also I am jam-packed with other administrative responsibilities and demands in that I cannot have the time to be one-on-one with my students in like a in like in like very intimate focused way. Outside of COVID has been hampered in an ongoing way. And that students, that people who are kids who are like looking to me to teach them have to, in this particular case, rethink what it is to get a degree. Am I getting a degree to get a job? Or am I getting a degree in order to like have a, a, a more intimate and robust connection with the world? And what I mean by that is, as you can see, if you look around, there's a, there's a, there's a deep value of, of being intelligent and thinking critically in this world in this time, right? And there's, there's a way that you can like just rush towards an answer in order to get a reaction, be it within social media or face-to-face. It's hypercritical without being, without giving some thought. How do we start to teach that once again beyond this, this, uh, this COVID era, right? How do we make education more affordable as I began this thing with, right? Mm-hmm. How do we learn how to connect with one another in a way that is less about a profession, right? Because I think that's also important, but also like just rethinking what it is to be proficient at life, not living a life that is circumscribed by the pursuit of professions. So do you feel like, let me put it this way, if you had your own Mm -hmm. student, if you had your own kid who then became a student, was approaching age 16, 17, 18, thinking about college, Mm -hmm. would you advocate a community college route? Would you advocate a gap year? Would you advocate no college at all? Like what, what's your best guess on what you would advise your your own child to do at this point 
so at this point or just at, at, at after this whole COVID thing has passed us by? Yeah, let's let's say after it's passed us by, because yeah, okay. using your your own potential future children as an example, 15, 16, 17 years from now, what what would you oh. counsel, counsel them to do? Sure. Uh, once again, it's not a easy answer to give, but I'm going to use myself as an example as you, but not in the way that you said. Uh, I'm just going to take my, I'm a, you know, let's go back in time. Let's go to 18 year old Wade. Right. Uh, <laughs> like all of us, he thought he knew every damn thing, <laughs> but also at that particular point in time, 18 year old Wade did not know that he had ADHD. He thought he did. He had suspicions, uh, you know, K through what eighth grade teachers said you might want to get him checked out for that but also you didn't you know no one understood what ADHD was then they didn't understand how medications work that is to say that when you have ADHD your relationship to the world is fundamentally different right and I want, I'm not going to go into the validity of it but as an 18 year old freshman at the University of South Carolina who had ADHD who was profoundly creative and profoundly curious but did not have the mechanism and the, and, and the tools to get him through, I would have wished that I had not necessarily a gap year, but an infrastructure that allowed me to learn in the distinct way that I needed to learn, that I could learn, that I am learning now, right? Because the system that I was in at the University of South Carolina in my freshman year as this ADHD kid said that I just didn't have it that I should just quit because I could not quote unquote focus or I didn't show interest. So how do we then reimagine, right? The, these, the distinctions of curiosity, the different ways that we all learn, right? And it could be ADHD, it could be all these things. How do we make space for that? So that we do not zero out a kid who has all the capability of being successful, but because we have this rigid, a neurotypical way of thinking of education. He is no longer and will have trouble finding place a place as an adult, as, uh, as someone in his profession, have you, finding a place as being a successful human being. And then last thing, Wade, when you mm -hmm. think about when we last talked, I think we were kind of right in the middle of a lot of the protests that were happening on the streets of all of our countries. Looking back at that time now and thinking about where we are presently, how are you feeling about what people are discussing, what people are protesting, what people are pushing for these days? Uh, I am, I don't want to say I'm scared, but I'm alarmed. Uh, you know, what happened in Portland was, uh, we can go, we got to call a spade what a spade is. You know, it was fascism. Uh, I see uh, what's going on now as kids are starting to like, not necessarily, uh, not necessarily uh, refuse white supremacy, but refuse the dehumanization of themselves. And that, like in that article that I sent you uh, mm -hmm. about that school in Georgia, where the kids like literally showed a picture of packed schools and nobody with a mask. And that very kid who showed that picture, who tweeted out that picture, was given a five-day suspension. What I'm worried about is that we are living in uh, in a system a system of governance that is literally as you like to call it cancel culture, but it's literally canceling people out in order to diminish critique and protest. Uh, and that's happening more and more, even either within a, in a organized way or these very like on the ground, localized, unorganized way, uh, ways in like schools and the like.
It's worrisome. And so if you, yeah. maybe, maybe one extension then to, to this question, if you were, and you do have students that you are teaching and interact with and are younger than us, right? So they're 18, 24 in that range, maybe. How do you advise them to be, to be active citizens in the protest community and to advocate for change? What advice do you give them? Well, I mean, so we just lost uh, what Obama called the founding father of, uh, uh, I, I, I know he, he qualified it as a, <laughs> as a, a more perfect union, but uh, I, I like to think he was a founding father of the very freedom that America claims to index. That said, uh, John Lewis said, get in good trouble. I will always tell any student to do so. Uh, always look to get into good trouble, uh, especially in this time, uh, and do so uh, with friends, with coalitions, including me as your teacher, because uh, the only way that we are going to uh, re like enact this, uh, this freedom that we claim that we want is to always trouble the sameness that names the cruelty that we're having now. Well said. Listen, thanks as always for coming on. Your insights are, are inspiring, and I'm wishing you the best of health on the East Coast. Stay safe out there, and thanks for everyone listening to this episode of The Zag. Stay safe as well. Check out our episodes featuring educators from across the NLC community that have been dropping the last 10 days or so. There's about seven or eight that are up with more coming. Get them in all the spots. You get your podcast, Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google. They're all there. And until next time, we'll catch you soon. <laughs>